Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Prose. Casper, I just got a wonderful, wonderful haircut. It looks so good. Thank you. I feel great with it. But I cut off over a foot of hair, and that means my long hair was sort of pulling my curls in one way. And now that I have short hair, I need a totally different hair care routine. Mm. Luckily, Pros is made for people, not hair and skin types. Personalization is rooted in everything they do, from their in-depth consultation to their made-to-order model. And so I used the review and refine feature, and I was like, yes, I still want vegan hair care products. Yes, I still want to smell like a lavender field, <laughs> but my hair is no longer long. It is short to medium length. Please send me a different formula of shampoo and conditioner. Pros is so confident that you'll bring out your best hair and skin that they're offering an exclusive trial offer of 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash Harry Potter. So you get your free consultation and then 50% off at pros.com slash Harry Potter. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash Harry Potter. Chapter two, Aunt-Marge's big mistake. Harry went down to breakfast the next morning to find the three Dursleys already sitting around the kitchen table. They were watching a brand new television, a welcome home for the summer present for Dudley. I'm Matt Potts. And I'm Vanessa Zoltan. And this is Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. So Vanessa, this week you're going to tell us a story about ignorance. Yes, and I'm excited because I get to talk about Jane Eyre. Sneaky of me. So I, I've talked about this on the podcast before. My father was diagnosed with a brain tumor when I was seven years old. And since his surgeries, he's he's been partially blind. And this has just been a reality of my life that honestly, I don't give a ton of thought to for 30 years now. And so I've spent the last couple of years of my life obviously talking about Jane Eyre a lot in a lot of different contexts. I did chaplaincy with nearly 20 people last year treating Jane Eyre as sacred. I co-hosted a podcast about Jane Eyre. I talked about my book, which is about Jane Eyre. I was constantly in conversation with people about Jane Eyre. And spoiler for this nearly 200-year-old book, at the end of the novel, Rochester, who has done some really bad things throughout the book, 
is blinded and loses the use of one of his hands. And people talk about this in all sorts of ways, and disability theory has written a lot about this, and I am not up on the academic writings about that. And it's something that I feel some shame over because I should be more aware of the academic language around disability theory in general, and especially as it pertains to Jane Eyre, right? This book that I've read professionally for almost a decade. And I was in conversation with one person who expressed to me a belief that she thinks that Rochester becoming blind and the loss of one of his hands was not just a punishment to Rochester, which is in a lot of the literature and is obviously a very problematic idea, but that it was also a punishment for Jane, that she felt as though Jane was being punished. And I kept arguing with her sort of on the merits of the case, right? I kept trying to reach for these terms that I don't quite have around disability theory and saying that I I don't think that you know, being disabled in any number of ways is a punishment and certainly not a punishment for the people near you. And she kept pushing back. And finally, I sort of just lost my patience. And I said, look, my dad has been mostly blind since I was eight years old. And I don't think my mom thinks of it as a punishment. And, I, you know, we were on Zoom. So I sort of saw her face go ashen And she didn't really know what to say. And I felt bad, right? Because I kind of pulled out this like personal trump card, right? I I didn't have the academic language to back myself up. And so I was just like, look, from lived experience, I'm telling you that you're wrong. And, you know, we got off the phone and I was like, she's just ignorant about it. There was no harm done. But over the next few days, I was still really disappointed and hurt that she dug her heels in and it didn't feel like she said anything in response to what I said. And then she asked if we could get back on Zoom, and we did. And she said, I'm really sorry, and I really appreciate you sharing with me. And she did research about disability studies, and she really did her best to hear me and to educate herself. And the reason that came to mind when I was thinking about ignorance is because, you know, there's a point at which ignorance is a legitimate excuse, right? You don't know what you don't know. And I think that that's fair. And then there's a point at which ignorance is not an excuse and it's unacceptable. And I'm really curious as to where that line is. And and there's some times where that line is bright, right? The Dursleys, they are willfully ignorant about Harry's life at Hogwarts, right? They don't want to hear anything about it. But they also later in the series, they genuinely don't know what Dementors are. And I, and like, you can be in the wizarding world for years and not know what the Dementors are, right? Ron doesn't know. And so I'm really interested in, you know, just personally, when I can forgive myself for being ignorant and when I am like, no, 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 this is on me and I have to do better. Yeah, I think that's a great story. And really, it's really a great way of framing like how we think morally about ignorance because you can't moralize ignorance in every case, right? Like some stuff we just don't right. know. Nobody's yeah. perspicacious out of the womb, right? Like we we learn as we grow and like that's important. And so we don't want to stigmatize ignorance because then w- nobody could learn anything, right? But there's also this idea that what we know best is our own experience. And, you know, when we privilege our own experience over others because we know it best, when we start to assume that others' experiences are less valid than our own because our own is what we know best, there's some, you're right, there's some line we cross where we're like intentionally dismissing the experiences and knowledge of others, right? And yeah, so how do you reckon with that? How do you deal with that? We have to admit, it's to admit that you don't know everything, right? Like, which is what you're 
comment, even though you said you thought it was maybe, did you say you thought it was harsh, your comment or unfair? I thought it was just sort of a low blow because we were having yeah. this academic argument. And so I felt yep. like I should have been able to win the argument on an intellectual level. And I think that pointed to my own ignorance that I haven't read enough about disability studies. And I, I did after that conversation go and buy a book because I was like, I can't rely just on my own experience and a Wikipedia article. And so it, it felt like, I should be able to win this argument on the merits of the argument. And so bringing in something that she didn't know about me, right? Yep. It did. It felt like a cheap blow. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if it was a cheap blow. It seems like sometimes, you know, the personal is more impactful than the abstract, right? Like, I think that the intellectual argument may not have carried as much weight. Like I said, like, it, we know our own experience best. And so we privilege that. That's the problem with ignorance, Right. What we don't know is other experiences, but like because this person has a relationship with you, you made it part of her experience. You made her know something that that she didn't know before. Because there's this really important distinction between willful ignorance and just ignorance, right? But I yeah. think it's I think what your story points to is there's not a bright line between willful right. ignorance and regular old ignorance because we can't know everything. There's some degree to which all of us the way we understand the world tends to to keep ourselves safe in the world as we understand it, right? And so that which we don't know is always going to challenge our sense of the way things are. And if our sense of the way things are elevates ourselves, then what we don't know is going to be a threat. And that's what we see, obviously, going on with the Dursleys. They see that which they don't understand or know as as a threat to their own sense of security and safety and and privilege and power. Right. Matt, it's time for the 30-second recap. I can't wait. I'm so, I'm so ready. to hear you do it. Okay. On your mark. Get set. Go. So they're sitting at breakfast, and they're watching a television. Uh, and the story comes on about this terrible criminal, Sirius Black, and and Vernon says some terrible things about criminal justice. And then Aunt Marge is coming, and Harry's like, oh, no, Aunt Marge is coming. But then he sees an opportunity. He says, I'll keep up your story about going to a school for the criminally uh, something. And he says, if you will let me go to Hogsmeade. And, and Vernon says, deal. And then Aunt Marge comes, and she's great to, to Dudley and terrible to Harry and says awful things about his family. And then she gets a little bit drunk on on Brandy and says awful things, and then he, he loses loses it and he storms out of the house. <laughs> when you watch TV, do you say, I'm watching a TV? Sorry, I'm Colette, a TV? I can't come to dinner. I'm watching a TV. I think it was a pause. It was a, uh, no, TV. no, no, no. 30 seconds. Vanessa. Three, two, one. Go. So Sirius Black has broken out of prison and Vernon is like, ugh, he doesn't even do his hair. And Aunt Marge is coming and Harry's like, oh, God, Aunt Marge is coming. Hedwig, go live at the Weasleys because you can't be here. And he's like, should I try to fix my hair? No, Aunt Marge likes finding problems with me. And Dudley is only hugging Aunt Marge because he's forced to because he's bribed to. And she loves dogs. And I do not appreciate this representation of dog lovers. And she is shamed for having a mustache. And then Harry gets mad at her and blows her up. She is awful. I don't agree that she loves dogs. She's a dog owner. I don't think she's a dog lover. Oh, okay. I'm interested in that. So I think that we see ignorance in a, in a really interesting and complicated way right at the beginning of the chapter. When Vernon and Petunia are watching the news... And there's this report that a man named Sirius Black has escaped from prison. And Vernon is very frustrated that there isn't more information. 
And I would say that Vernon is frustrated that there isn't more information for really horrible reasons. He, like, wants to kill Sirius and have him hanged. But Vernon wants to know what Sirius did. And it's, it's a moment of ignorance, right? He's frustrated by his ignorance. He's like, I want to know what this man did. And to me, it raises the question as to when we need to know what. Is it important to know when a man is on the loose, what he did, right? How And, right, and the reason that I'm trying to think that maybe we might want to know that is how scared are we supposed to be of this criminal? What might they do when really past behavior of something that you did prior to going to prison is not necessarily indicative of what you would do when you escape prison, And so that information doesn't necessarily address the ignorance. And it also made me wonder about there are obviously situations like in a courtroom where you really have to know what the person did. And there's actually a burden of proof where you have to know. And then when I was a prison chaplain, there was a moral responsibility to not ask what the person did that got them into prison. And so it was just making me think about when ignorance is actually an intentional choice of grace and when it's a strategy that, you know, we know that the news isn't saying because of the magical element of this murder. They can't say he like magically killed seven people all at once. But the the strategy of when we keep people in the dark because it's classified information, because it's not appropriate for them to know seems to me to be an interesting question about ignorance. When are we intentionally keeping someone ignorant? Yeah, I mean, I think it relates to this, to the thing that your story really illuminated about when our ignorance serves us or when it serves other people, right? You could imagine a a situation in which you might learn some of the history of a person that you were working with in prison or, or befriending in prison or whatever, right? But that would be because they shared it with you because they wanted you to know something about their past, right? Right. It wouldn't be because you in the position of power believe you deserve to know something of their past, right? And so right. like the relationship doesn't depend upon that knowledge, rather the knowledge is a gift of the relationship, right? And I think that mm-hmm. there's mm-hmm. there is something about feeling entitled to to other people's histories which is at play there. And we can see something similar going on with Vernon Dursley but at a much larger social scale, right? Because Vernon Dursley thinks he knows everything about Sirius. Right. And Sirius has passed, even though he doesn't even know what what prison he's escaped from. <laughs> right. So he's like, oh, I know who this person is just because I've heard a story about one fact about him. Right. And so feels he is able to draw conclusions about this person's history. Right. Which is exactly it seems like what your practice in your prison chaplaincy was meant to keep you from doing, drawing conclusions about a prison based upon a, a select fact from their history, right? And and Vernon uses this, deploys this as a way to understand his whole world, as a way to understand criminal justice practices, right? And interestingly, Vernon even pitches it as as other people's ignorance. When will they learn that the only way to deal with these folks is hanging, right? It's their ignorance that's the problem, not not mine. Again, it points to your your prior question where Ignorance masquerades as knowledge, right? What he actually knows is nothing about Sirius Black. What he pitches it as is, I know everything I need to know about Sirius Black, and nobody else knows what they need to know about Sirius Black, right? And so, like, this is this is um, an echo of your story, which is like, no, I know everything there is to know about what it means to have sight or not have sight. And you're like, well, actually, you don't, because there's some other stuff going on, right? 
It also made me frustrated with the news program, right? Because the news program is giving the facts, the quote unquote facts in a public service announcement way, right? It is saying there's a man named Sirius Black. Here's a picture of him. He has escaped from prison. Essentially be on the lookout, right? Like a potentially this dangerous criminal is out and lurking among us and you should be worried. But it's also an opportunity to talk about the actual facts of prison, right? And that it is not a deterrent for crime. And that actually there's a really high rate of return to prison because once you are a convicted felon, it's really hard to find a job. And then you're more likely to engage in petty crime, right? And the things that we as a culture have decided is editorializing rather than fact seems to be a position that is defined by people who want to remain ignorant, who are staying willfully ignorant. And I'm so frustrated by that, right? And I I am frustrated with news programs who don't continue to state more facts. It's not just that Sirius Black has escaped from prison. It's that we have a really high rate of people who are innocent getting sent to prison. We have a really high rate of people who spend prolonged periods of time in jail and prison prior to them being proven guilty, right? I I mean, and obviously my frustration right now, this is a continual frustration of mine, but given everything that is going on on Rikers Island right now, this feels particularly important. And I'm wondering if you think that whenever we talk about a fact and then don't continue to talk about the facts under the facts, we are just allowing another kind of ignorance to reign, yeah, I think I think that's right. And I, I think this is related to what we talked about based on your story as well, right? Like, there's always a fact under the fact. I mean, you can't ever get right. to all the facts, right? There's always, we don't know everything. And so being open to one's own ignorance is part of the responsibility of being human, right? To know that your own experience does not capture all experience and that you need to learn more. But that the truth of that also makes me wonder whether willful ignorance or kind of stubborn ignorance, which is like, I don't want any more facts because I know everything I need to know which is like Vernon's tone and the tone of a lot of the stuff you're talking about now, whether that should even count as ignorance, because we do know that we don't know everything, right? So why wouldn't you want to learn more, right? I mean, the etymology corner is not super helpful for us this week because the word ignorance just means not knowing. (laughs) The GNO root is means knowledge and ignorance is to undo knowledge, right? But that makes me wonder, like, whether willful ignorance actually should count as ignorance and rather than count as something else, like stubbornness or prejudice or jerkiness. Is that a good word? <laughs> or like, because that would be asserting that, like, you think you know everything there is to know. And I think nobody actually believes that. No one actually believes they know everything there is to know, which means that a lack of curiosity or an unwillingness to learn from others or to learn more facts is not ignorance. That's just a rejection of something you already know, which is that there's always more to learn. Yeah, I I think it can sometimes come from maybe a, a slightly better place or a slightly a place of pride. You know, it's something I think that's yeah. a live question for a lot of us right now in terms of people who some would say are, are staying willfully ignorant about COVID, right? And are... Yep anti-vax and don't believe that it's as dangerous as they think it is. And I, I, I hear a lot of people saying, well, the unvaxxed people who are choosing to remain unvaccinated, they're going to die and like shame on them. That's their fault. And 
that really rankles me because they are living in a culture in which other people are reifying that idea that, you know, vaccines aren't necessary, that COVID isn't as serious as you think it is. And their echo chamber is saying that. And you can obviously argue that they should take the responsibility upon themselves to break out of that echo chamber and that the information is out there from all sorts of quote unquote trustworthy sources. But I, right, like that's the moment where I'm like, there's willful ignorance on that. But I don't want to blame the people who are quote unquote willfully ignorant because it doesn't seem to me to be about jerkiness because they are the victims of it, right? There's story after story of people who as they are dying of COVID saying, I didn't believe, right, that this was real. And so that, right, like that has to be about something other than jerkiness. But I think that is like, that is part of the problem. Maybe it's selfishness, right? Because I I don't want folks who are unvaccinated to die, to be clear, right? So what I'm going to say now is not meant to justify that or to to support that position. I don't think the punishment for stubbornness should be death or or right. long suffering, right? So this isn't meant to defend it, but it's like to go back to your original story, like it, until it became personal, it wasn't real, right? Like right. The, there's that's a lack of curiosity for these folks who, who I feel sorry for, who want the vaccine too late, right? There is also something about like, if you had been more curious or m- more open to learning earlier, Right. Of th- learning some things that were not of your own experience that others were trying to tell you, you you might have evaded this or avoided this this outcome. Yeah, I think I mean, yeah, I think there is something about maybe this is the language I was trying to find earlier. There is something selfish and the doors are definitely selfish. There's something selfish about not being willing to expose and uncover one's own ignorance and to learn more. Because right. remaining, standing by what you already know about yourself in the world is is usually like a self, a, a tactic of of either self-promotion or self-preservation, right? Right. Oh, that's so helpful. Right. There's a, I mean, there's a theory, I, I'm sure you know this, right? But like in religious education, that the point of empathetic and religious education is to be expanding your um, community of care to expanding what your idea of community is. So starting with the family and then moving out like a target, being like, okay, now it's the church community. Now it's the people in my city. Now it's the people in my state. And eventually, hopefully getting to like everyone in the world as part of my community. And therefore, it's my responsibility to be curious and try to take care of as many people as possible. And the Dursleys are definitely the opposite about that, right? It's closing all the windows and making that circle of care as small as possible, which is what a cult is, right? It's when you're shutting all the doors and trying to make your circle of care as small as possible that that's profane rather than sacred that is you know rather than open that's closing and that's something my tradition like is is super guilty of and has been for centuries like it builds that small community around like a certain knowledge right like they when faith is interpreted as like certain knowledge of one thing right or of a set of things then it becomes about preserving this knowledge rather than faith being about like, oh, encountering this inexplicable, mysterious thing, right? Like if if you think about religious practice or religious or religious thought as engaging something we cannot ever fully know, that should spur you to be curious, to learn more, to to know that your own experience is, is limited and you need to learn from others and learn from the world. But if you think about religious experiences about like, oh, like we already know everything we need to know, 
therefore we need to know nothing else. Then that makes that puts you in opposition to the world and to others, right? And in both cases, you're ignorant. The the question is whether you find that ignorance a position of opportunity to engage the world more deeply, or you deny the possibility of your ignorance so that you can, you know, cordon yourself off into your own kind of secure community of certainty. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rose, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Prose. Casper, I just got a wonderful, wonderful haircut. It looks so good. Thank you. I feel great with it. But I cut off over a foot of hair, and that means my long hair was sort of pulling my curls in one way. And now that I have short hair, I need a totally different hair care routine. Mm. Luckily, Prose is made for people not hair and skin types, personalization is rooted in everything they do, from their in-depth consultation to their made-to-order model. And so I use the review and refine feature, and I was like, yes, I still want vegan hair care products. Yes, I still want to smell like a lavender field, <laughs> but my hair is no longer long. It is short to medium length. Please send me a different formula of shampoo and conditioner. Pros is so confident that you'll bring out your best hair and skin that they're offering an exclusive trial offer of 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash Harry Potter. So you get your free consultation and then 50% off at pros.com slash Harry Potter. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash Harry Potter. I mean, I think that that leads us really beautifully into Aunt Marge and like how much accountability we foist onto her, right? Like her brother is constantly telling her how awful this kid is, right? And and trusting your brother and and being upset that your brother has been imposed upon in a way that like you would not want him to be imposed upon. I I I think that right like that speaks to loyalty to some extent. And then obviously she's heinous, right? And part of her heinousness is about the fact that she seems to be some sort of at least dog eugenicist, but also is is projecting that breeding mindset of eugenics onto humans, right? He, she looks at Harry and the thing that eventually has Harry lose it is, right, like if there's something wrong with the bitch, there's something wrong with the pup. And it's, you know, Harry, it's not your fault, but like your parents were bad seeds. And therefore, of course, like you're a bad seed. And so there's this combination where part of me wants to read her generously of she's being loyal to the information that she has gotten. And she's gotten years and years of horrible information about Harry and then I'm like, gosh, darn it, though, Marge, you need to be a little more curious about this child. Yeah. And like, you know, 
sometimes I do think it's lovely when you're not curious, right? If your friend comes to you and is like, he broke up with me over nothing. I don't think it's helpful in that moment to be like, but was it over nothing? What did you actually do? Right? Like just blind (laughs) loyalty and a lack of curiosity and choosing to stay ignorant in that moment, I think is completely fair. And then Marge has like clearly crossed this line into a dark, dark place. Yeah, right. I mean, but I think that like in that moment, that's not ignorance. That's just kind of support and loyalty, right? Like you even, you kind of know you probably did something, but you just don't want to talk about it now because that's not helpful to your friend, right? But if you met this person later, Right. You might be like, oh, this is complicated because things are complicated. Right. And this is the thing about about Marge. The same spirit that drowns the the runt is the one that spends three days with a good kid and cannot see any redeeming quality in him. Totally. That's like stubborn. Like I am presented with facts. I have a kid who is good. Right. Who who talks appreciatively of his beatings. (laughs) <laughs> right? Like, and mm-hmm. and I can't see anything redeeming in him by the end of three days. That's, that's again, that's this kind of stubbornness. That's like, I'm presented with facts. They're right in my, they're literally walking around and in front of my face and living in the world. But I, I refuse to see them because that would mean I would have to change something fundamental of my understanding of this family that I'm visiting, right? And that's something I refuse to do. Yeah, that's 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 more than ignorance. That's not not knowing. That's knowing but pretending you don't know, right? Which is why yeah. I asked the question before. Like, is that ignorance? Maybe it's not even ignorance. Maybe it's something else. Right. So when ignorance is a problem is when it's stubborn, when when it becomes something else. Yeah. Right. Not knowing is not knowing. Not knowing is not knowing. Right. We don't need to fault Aunt Marge for not knowing that wizards exist. Why would she? We, right. we ought to fault her for not recognizing that Harry's a good kid because she spends three days with him. And that's the problem with J.K. Rowling, right? She made one anti-trans comment and then all of these, you know, trans advocacy organizations reached out to her and offered, I think, in a very generous spirit to educate her. And she was like, nope, I'm going to stay uneducated about this. Nope, I'm going to dig my heels in. And I think that there was a moment where it was not knowing is not knowing. And it's now seven years later or whatever. And it's like, do you know what? No. It's no longer just not knowing. This is willfully looking the other way. And in fact, yeah. like people are sort of trying to turn your chin to look and you're like, absolutely not. And yeah. that is what's so horrible about her yeah. continued, you know, misinformation campaign. Yep. Yeah, that's right. That's a that's a great way to to relate it to the world that surrounds the series. Yeah. You know, there's one more potential situation of ignorance I thought this chapter might shed some light on. Vanessa, which is, you know, Harry sort of unwittingly, he doesn't even know how he does it, I don't think, inflates Marge in this dramatic fashion. And it's uncontrollable. We can see that it's like a product of just his rage and being provoked, right? But there's also, this comes out a little bit more in the next chapter, but there's also like, he knows he's not supposed to use magic and he knows that he just didn't use magic. So these are two things he knows. What he doesn't know is what the consequences of this action are going to be. He knows there will be consequences because he knows you're not supposed to use magic outside of Hogwarts, right? And so, like, this action, this uncontrollable action just kind of leads him into this place of not knowing and uncertainty, which is really frightening and destabilizing, as we will learn, right, in the next chapter. And so I just, I think maybe it relates, again, to this question of fear and how not knowing can be scary. But also, like, we've been talking mostly about ignorance 
with respect to facts we ought to know or do know or don't know about the world. But there's also like the future, <laughs> right? Like what are the consequences of our actions going to be? Even our well-intended actions or the actions we can't control or things that we did that we ought not to have done or wished we could not have done or whatever, right? Like the future is uncertain always. And we can't ever certainly predict the outcome of our actions. And that's like a, that's an ignorance that just faces all of us. And I think we react to it in the same way. Some of us stubbornly refuse that it's unknowable. And you, know, you think about climate change denialism, right? Like, nope, that's that's not the future that we have in store for us. So I'm going to live the way I want to live. That's the same kind of stubbornness. But there also is like another way, like how do you gracefully move into that, which you you don't know, whether it's a fact about the world that you ought to know, or it's a future that that you can't predict. I mean, to me, the we all have moments like that, right? Where we act yeah. ignorantly. And and I mean, to some extent, that goes back to our story. And I, I think that the grace comes in how you deal with it, right? You act in ignorance, but then it, it's what do you do after, right? And this, this yeah. person came to me and requested a time to talk and like literally did research, right? Like did all the right yeah. things. And, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see in the next chapter how Harry deals with it, right? And there's at minimum a moment where he's like, oh, shoot, I have to figure out how to deal with this. And that is its own complex ecosystem, right? I could have said to this person, I'm sorry, I'm not ready to talk about it yet, right? Like any number of things, could yeah. have they could have gone and talked about it with a partner or friend who would have said, oh, that was manipulative, right? Like how the world then responds can also yep. change. And the de- the world is definitely going to respond to Harry's action as well. Vanessa, it's time for our sacred practice. And this week, we are doing sacred imagination. And I have selected a consequential scene from this chapter for us to imagine ourselves into. I look forward to it. So this is right towards the end of the chapter. This is this is just where Harry is most grievously insulted and loses control, and Aunt Marge has a spell cast upon her. More brandy, yelled Uncle Vernon, who had gone very white. He emptied the bottle into Aunt Marge's glass. You boy, he snarled at Harry. Go to bed, go on. No, Vernon, picked up Aunt Marge, holding up a hand, her tiny bloodshot eyes fixed on Harry's. Go on, boy, go on. Proud of your parents, are you? They go and get themselves killed in a car crash. Drunk, I expect. They didn't die in a car crash, said Harry, who found himself on his feet. They died in a car crash, you nasty little liar, and left you to be a burden on their decent, hardworking relatives, screamed Aunt Marge, swelling with fury. You are an insolent, ungrateful little... But Aunt Marge suddenly stopped speaking. For a moment, it looked as though words had failed her. She seemed to be swelling with inexpressible anger, but the swelling didn't stop. Her great red face started to expand, her tiny eyes bulged, and her mouth stretched too tight for speech. Next second, several buttons had just burst from her tweed jacket and pinged off the walls. She was inflating like a monstrous balloon, her stomach bursting free of her tweed waistband, each of her fingers blowing up like a salami. Marge! yelled Uncle Vernon and Aunt Petunia together as Aunt Marge's whole body began to rise off her chair toward the ceiling. She was entirely round now, like a vast life buoy, with piggy eyes, and her hands and feet stuck out weirdly as she drifted up into the air, making apoplectic popping noises. Ripper came skiddling into the room, barking madly. 
So Vanessa, what came to mind as you imagined yourself into the scene? I mean, what really occurred to me is just the the violence of the whole situation, right? There's like emotional violence or psychological violence, and then there's this physical violence, right? There's just like so much escalation. And you just wish that there was someone in the room who could interrupt and be like, whoa, 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 whoa. let's take a step back here. And instead there's almost glee at the escalation, right? Mm. And there's this addictive quality of one-upsmanship as to like who yep. can be awful the most. And, and right, like Harry, who we've talked about before, he, you know, he's such a good kid. He's such a good kid. And he, he gets wrapped up in it. And I'm, I'm in no way blaming him. It's, it's nearly impossible to not, but there's just an inertia to this scene that it almost feels like the conclusion is inevitable as soon as the first comment is made. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, one of the things that, that I like to do with sacred imaginations in my long experience doing sacred imaginations, Vanessa, one of the things that I like to do with the sacred imagination is try to experience the things that the text doesn't describe. So, mm-hmm. you know, the text tends to be fairly visual to tell us what we would see if we were in the room. So I, this time I tried to pay attention to to like other sensations and and the text helped with this a little bit, like the pinging of the of the buttons. But I heard sounds, like I heard the sounds of like stretching as she inflated. And I think that that didn't make the violence more graphic because I thought about, at first the sound was like like a cartoon, like a, you know, like a rubber stretching sound that you might hear in a Looney Tunes cartoon or something. But then I remember like, oh, but she's not a cartoon. She's a person. (laughs) So like this stretching, that like dramatic stretching sound I heard, in addition to the pinging, which the text does describe, I also, it felt, the room felt hot, Mm -hmm. right? Like I know it's the middle of summer and so maybe the windows were open or whatever, but it felt hot in like a, in a stuffy way, not in like the windows are open. It's a hot summer evening. It felt more like hot, like the room is close and the temperature's going up. And maybe it's just the way that Harry's rage is physicalizing, right? Through this inflation, for me, the temperature in the room is also rising. And then also the smell, like just there's this, this smell of like, just after dinner smell, right? You had a big meal, like mm-hmm. they made a fancy dinner, they made a big meal. I'm guessing it was probably some kind of roast animal that was just <laughs> that was just served, right? And now there's, there's the alcohol's flowing, right? And so like, I just, yeah. there's, this, there's this kind of, that kind of warm, stuffy smell and these stretching Dog sounds. Smell. Like, yeah, I got I, so that's what I'm I was I was picking up some of those sensations. Which again, like to your point, they just pointed to a level of kind of intensity and violence in the scene, right? The noises at first were cartoonish and then they said, Oh, this is this is violent. And the temperature is like, oh, this is a sign of Harry's rage. This is all moving in the room. I mean, you know, the other thing, and this is almost comedic, but was the the sound and like feeling of those buttons popping right like i i imagine that having a sound and then the potential of like one hitting you in the face or like going yeah. by you and hitting a a pan right like there's something cartoonish about this obviously but i always think it's helpful to like <laughs> i'm the person who watches tom and jerry and i'm like that must really hurt getting hit by a pan in the face <laughs> and, you know, it's cartoonish and it's funny, but I think it's just also important. Like this, this is another trauma in this family. This is another magical trauma. This is another trauma for Harry. This is a moment of magic that he couldn't control again, which, you know, it's not fun when you react in a way that you can't control. 
And it, it's not just silly, right? It's it's scary and it's violent. That's the beauty of Itchy and Scratchy around The Simpsons, right? Which is like, it's a cat and mouse cartoon, but they somehow they choose like violence, which is just violence. But for, this violence is not funny, which is the joke, right? Like, yeah. like, why do we find violence funny? That's 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 the joke. And like, that, why, why is this violence funny, right? Like, there's a way in which imagining ourselves in the scene and remembering that she's not a cartoon makes the violence get less funny. But clearly the the novel wants us to to see some humor in and comeuppance in this scene, right? Yeah, I I think sacred imagination always makes me realize how violent these books are. <laughs> but yeah, thank you, Matt, for leading that great sacred imagination. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Now we're going to listen to a voice memo from Millie. Dear Harry Potter and the Sacred Text team, my name is Millie St. Waters. I'm here to offer a blessing for Luna Lovegood. We know Luna as someone who sees things that no one else does, like nargles and thestrals. I read Luna as neurodivergent like me. I am disabled in that realm and also physically as I have two serious autoimmune disorders. Many neurodivergents are highly sensitive individuals. Sometimes I feel something is off before I understand why. In this way, I sense things that are not yet there even to me. At the start of the pandemic, when people said things like, only sick people will die, healthy people don't have to take the pandemic seriously, it really made me recoil as someone who has been immunocompromised before. But when I heard a lot of well-meaning Hermione Grangers say, no, everyone has to take this seriously. Even healthy people will die. I also recoiled. I didn't quite understand why at first. These people were doing the logical thing. But think about it. Hidden in both of those phrases is the expectation that people like me should die of this. That we are not worth mentioning and in that way do not deserve our community's help in surviving this. Both of these phrases are forms of ableism. 
The first is overt ableism, and the second is unconscious ableism. This is important to feel and to say because so many people, even disabled people, don't know what ableism is. But people across many disabilities still struggle to gain equal access to education, jobs, housing, and social protections. And yes, of course, we should dispel the myth that people without underlying illness are always safe from COVID. But we shouldn't dismiss that protecting the most vulnerable is important and could say, everyone has to take COVID seriously because anyone can get seriously ill from it. And because the most vulnerable among us are dying at even more serious rates. I think most of the unconscious discrimination from well-meaning people is felt before it is consciously understood. I like to think that when something unseen was petrifying students in Hogwarts, Luna was among the first to believe in it and do what she could to protect her muggle-born friends. So, I want to offer a blessing to Luna, love good, for trusting her instincts over what everyone else sees. She will get to the bottom of many important things. Millie, I that that it was like you heard the episode before we recorded it. And I really appreciate you drawing these distinctions around ableism. And I completely agree with you, Luna Lovegood. She's just instinctually always going to be on the right side of everything. She's like 100 years into the future as far as a lack of ignorance, right? She sees things that we can't see. That is the least ignorant thing that we can do. Thanks, Millie, for this great voice memo. And for telling your story and sharing your story with our community. You know, we've been talking a lot about ignorance in this episode, and we talked about ignorance as a lack of curiosity. And I think that one of the really wonderful things about Luna Lovegood is that that curiosity. Like, she is just open to not knowing stuff about the world and learning stuff about the world. And what's interesting is that others at the school pitch that as ignorance. Like, she's, like she and her dad are gullible or mm-hmm. easily fooled or tricked. But it actually is this gift that she has that to to be curious about the world, to know that there are things that she doesn't understand and to be open to learning things about others and about the world in a new way. And you're right, that is great and it's a gift. And we thank you for sharing that gift with us today with your voice memo. Now is the time in our episode when we remember those among our community who have been loved and lost. Renee Ramirez Perez, 87, a wonderful sister, mother, and grandmother. Ernest Patra, 76, a loving grandfather and amazing storyteller. Juan, 85, a caring and attentive grandfather and a lover of history. Jessica Borton, 42, a cherished friend and lover of unicorns. Jewel Barker, 92, a gardener, fisher, adventurer, and grandpa. And Rebecca Sanchez, 31, a fierce advocate who is wise and wild. Let light perpetual shine upon all of them. Vanessa, who are you blessing this week? I'm blessing the Weasleys. This is something that we didn't 
talk about in the episode, but Harry has to send Hedwig away because Aunt Marge is coming. And without asking permission, he's just like, Hedwig, go to the Weasleys. They'll take good care of you. Here's a note. And any friend that you are just completely confident that you can impose upon them, that they will be gracious and loving and not even consider it an imposition as an excellent friend. Um, it's one of the ways that I define friendship. I like to lay in bed and imagine if I got kicked out of my home tomorrow, who would I feel comfortable showing up with my <laughs> rainbow bright suitcase and my my shirts short set and who would just let me in? And I the Weasleys are an amazing answer to that question. They're just like, yes, Hedwig, obviously. So I just want to bless them for being that kind of friend and that kind of family. What about you, Matt? I would like to bless Dudley this week, uh, not for anything in particular, more just for this house. I mean, the the house just seems, I'm still in the sacred imagination, that that hot, close room with the intensity yeah. and the just the, what a, what an awful place to grow up. It's an awful place to grow up for, for Harry. It's also an awful place to grow up for Dudley. And we learned later in the series that, you know, Dudley also has some goodness in him, right? And, uh, and I just, I feel bad for him. What a rough place for a 13-year-old to be. And so just blessings to him. Hope he turns out okay. Hope everything goes out well for him. Next week, Vanessa, we are reading chapter three of book three, The Night Bus. What shall our theme be? Anne has suggested the theme of effort. I would like for you to tell me a story about a time that you had effort, that you efforted. I will give my best effort. <laughs> Good. Just a few reminders before we give our thanks. We have a Winnie the Pooh virtual pilgrimage by the amazing Naomi Westwater, who taught our tarot is sacred class, which was such a big success. So you can find out more at readingandwalkingwith.com. This was a Not Sorry production. We are a feminist production company. Our executive producer is Ariana Nettleman. We are edited and produced and adored by AJ Yaramas. Our engineer is the wonderful Erica Wong, and our music is by the ever-talented Ivan Paisau and Nick Bull. We are distributed by the beneficent Acast. Thank you this week to Millie, who sent us such a lovely and enlightening voice memo. Thanks also to Laura Glass, Julie Argy, Gabby Iori, Nikki Zoltan, Casper Turkile, Stephanie Paulsell, and all of you who send in the names of the loved ones you have lost. Now, what do I say? <laughs> so, Vanessa, what did you imagine? Okay, so, Vanessa, what did you... <laughs>